This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. It's the middle of January or early January, and I'm, I'm still, I think I'm treasuring, I'm treasuring the thoughts, the intensity of one particular thought from Advent, and that was light and dark, light and dark, darkness and light. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Let there be light. These are powerful words, and the cosmic battle of light and darkness began. Began. John tells us that Jesus was the light, the true light. And I think that the season of Christmas, the season of preparation for the birth of Christ, the season of lights, did you go out this year in your car as a family? My husband and I went a couple of times to look at the lights. Like you, we're we're quarantined. We're we're not out very much, and we're not um, with other people. And so I, I was. We went out to looking at lights, and I know you may know this, but if you're new to the show, the autos moved last year. <gasps> It was a big deal, guys, 42 years in the same house with so much stuff, and we got rid of 50% of everything we owned, and this was the first Christmas to put up the former Christmas decorations, the former Christmas everything in the new house, which is much smaller than the old house. But there were lights. My husband loves colored lights. Do you like colored lights? Do you like white lights and your husband likes color lights or do you like color lights and your husband likes white lights? Well, at our house, my husband likes colored lights and I like white lights. Well, our new property has a smaller front and the house is longer and leaner. And I came outside after he called me and he flipped the switch and there were colored lights over the whole outline of our house, all the way from one end to the other, over the garage and over the front door and over my deck where my study is. Oh, there were colored lights. I thought, let there be light, let it be colored. Could we have had let there be light, let it be white? But you know, um, the whole notion of light and dark and the blessing of the fact that the light shines out of the darkness. What is your light? What lights you up? What happens when darkness comes over you? Darkness of the heart, darkness of the soul, darkness of the body. 
What is it that lights up your life? I'll tell you, there are three or four people that light up my life. Mm, I have to say I have to retract that. I don't usually retract things just as I'm saying them, but I have to retract that. You know why I have to retract that? There are many more than three or four people. There really are. Uh, The Lord has given me an amazing capacity to welcome people, I guess, or to engage with a number of people. And um, I am looking across the desk at producer and friend of 25 years, and um, she lights up my life. When I see her, my face lights up. And I was recently out walking in my neighborhood, and we, it's, a, it's a small community, it's a quiet community, it's not a gated community kind of place or a retirement kind of place, it's just a small, nestled-in part of the city community. And so there aren't a lot of traffic, and there's not a lot of cars, and people are walkers, they walk all the time, so there are a lot of people, and we recognize them mostly by their dogs, because they all have masks on. So my face lit up, as you could see my face lighting up, and I had taken my mask off because I was climbing up a hill, and of course people are very conscious of being 10 or 12 feet at least away, and as I swerved around them out of the way 10 or 12 feet, the man said, that's a great smile, and I thought, huh, that was a great smile. It's not because I had a great smile, it was because I saw these folks And I've seen them walk by, they hold hands, they walk their dogs, they're always talking together when they're walking, and I think, that lights up my face, that that makes me smile. So what makes you smile? Who makes you smile? What do you do that makes you smile? Does a nap make you smile? Does a good book make you smile? Does a movie make you smile? Does a show make you smile? What sparks you? What sparks you? I I want to say that what sparks me is the awareness that the light of Christ is always a part of who I am. The light of Christ, which during this Advent we talked about in all sorts of ways. How the lights, um, my God child who when he was a little boy in private school, private Christian school, came to the car as I picked him up one day and said, did you know that there is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? And I said, I did, Willard. What did you learn about it? And then he went in great detail to exclaim about the little lamps that attached to the ankles of people's feet and they could take one step at a time that was lighting up the path and then the lamps that would be in a far distant the big strong uh, lights that were lit with candle and oils to show the town or community the light that lights up our path Christ is the light that lights up the path as I talked with the Lord during this Christmas time, I, I came to some wonderings about what this year would look like. 
for many years I have been very strategic in goal planning. And may I tell you, when I look back on those years and the beginning of setting a new year with some goals, I talk about it in the book that I, my first book that I ever wrote on organization, still available. You can find it on our website. I so seldom mention those books. I can't remember the last time. The book is The Secrets to Getting More Done in Less Time. How does that have to do with goals? Well, I can tell you that when you set some goals, you make some plans, you divide your life into categories like marital category and family category and career category and spiritual and physical, and then you set some achievable goals. What's an achievable goal? An achievable goal is something that you write down and you continue to look at it, and you know that you are physically, financially, and mentally able to accomplish it. And at the end of the year, you are going to look at it again and say, how did I do? I've done that for decades. A very important part of my annual. Every year toward the end of the year, October, November, I get a phrase or a thought, and I know that's where I'm going to go. And and this year, I kept coming to, ah, there was a big question mark. It was like living in the moment. It was like being present. It was also quiet. And finally, I came to present, just present. But when I went to making my goals this year, I felt the Lord saying, in line with present, he was asking me, to listen more to him. And the next time we're together, I'm going to talk to you uh, for a couple of shows together about listening, listening to him, about quiet, about silence, about solitude. So I was reading, as I love to do, and I was reading about how Mother Teresa, who was the mother of the mother house in Calcutta. Interesting, I'm talking about Calcutta now. But she talked about how they they were to come together to do the work, and the work of caring for those who were sick and dying. And she, her life was, um, there were 400 people or so who lived in the communities um in the various communities or, or or houses, and they learned to live. Okay, this is a hard word. In their mind, heart, and life, amid disorder. They learned to live amid disorder. So. I hope you're catching this with me because every time I say it, it has new life to me. But if living in the present without a set of goals for me this year, except that the goal is to be in the present, it means that I'm going to have my mind and my heart, my life, my present life, my physical life in the midst of disorder amid disorder. And and that doesn't seem like a surprise. We're still in a pandemic. We don't know how this is going to turn out. They say there's another wave to follow. It, it, who knows? 
I've mentioned twice in the last three days about the turmoil and chaos in our country. We have not had yet a successful piece of transference of power. It hasn't happened yet. We're praying that it will. Mother Teresa lived in this amazing and rare combination of, here are the two phrases, utter groundedness and constant risk-taking. Are you ready for that? Utter groundedness and constant risk-taking. Because the way they lived, the way they took people off the streets who came to them broken and dying and starving and diseased and amputated. It was always disorder. It wasn't a clean and orderly get up at nine and go to bed and have your studies in between. Do you feel that disorder in your own family and home? I have felt it. I have felt it. Schedules, commitments, planning. We were going to meet with some friends out in the front yard. He got COVID. Plan, plan gone. Utter groundedness and constant risk-taking. That seems to characterize the true gospel of Christ. And the sisters of Mother Teresa's home, I can't even say the name of it, what it was called now, Mercies, Mission, Charity, Charities, the Missionaries of Charity is who they were. The sisters didn't waste time fixing, controlling, or even needing to understand what was wrong with people. Do you spend time fixing or trying to control? I do. I do I do it less. I, I won't always say that I do it less because I think I'm better. But the truth is I still spend time. Waste time is what I do. I waste time trying to fix, control, or even needing to understand what's wrong in this situation. Instead, they put all their time and energy into letting God change them. So this year, that's, that's where I'm going. I want to be in the present. I want to have um, more awareness of my utter groundedness while I am taking constant risks. And constant risks look like doing things that are out of my comfort zone, look like being in the mid of disorder, which looks like we're going to be in. We certainly are in. And I don't want to spend any time and energy trying to fix them. My dear acquaintance, oh, wouldn't that be nice if I could even say he was my dear acquaintance, Timothy Keller. He he gave us a great lesson. And if you've never heard Timothy Keller, I, I encourage you to find his website and listen to anything he has to say. But he describes this passage of scripture, the death of Lazarus, in chapter 11. In chapter 11. And you, you know it broadly. Uh, Lazarus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha uh, lived in Bethany and they were among his closest friends. Jesus had closer acquaintances. He had an inner circle. He had the 12 disciples. Of the 12 disciples, Peter and John and James were closer than the other eight. And then he had friends who traveled with him and friends who he worked with. But then there were these Lazarus and his sisters. And Lazarus gets sick, and they send for him, and they say, Come, help. 
our brother is sick. And, and Jesus doesn't show up in time. He doesn't show up in time in their way of thinking. And so uh, then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he has two common, common characteristics. He wants to fix the situation. Now, he's God. He can fix the situation. He, he can. But do you ever come to a situation and all you want to do is give the truth? You want to fix it? I want you to know, listeners, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever age you are, I spend a lot of my life studying the scripture, being committed to understanding the word of God. But in those years, I also spent some time giving out the truth and not having any tears with it. And this is the passage where the famous uh, two verses, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. When Jesus comes to this situation, he wants to fix what's happened with Lazarus' sisters, who both are broken. He wants to fix Lazarus, and, and he can. He wants to give the truth of it, and the truth of it is is that we never have to die. We never have to die and be separated from God. If you have chosen Christ as your Savior and you recognize him as Lord of Lord, you will never die and be left abandoned because he will never leave you or forsake you. So, so Jesus knows that truth, but he comes and he weeps, and he, know, he comes with that truth and he comes with tears. He emotes his emotion. He comes with tears because he says, I'm sorry. I feel sad. Lazarus is my friend and he was your brother. And here are my tears. And I weep and I weep with you. I just love Keller's take on it because it reminds me that I need to have some of both all the time. I need to be able to say, this is not the end. That is the truth. This is not the end. My father died. He died in the hospital without anyone attending him except nurses and doctors, of which we're so thankful. That's the truth. That's the truth. But it's not the end. And I'd like to come in tears and say I'm sad about that. But the truth is. So you might consider truth and tears. As I have told you what my goals are for this year, quite openly and candidly, that they would be a rare combination of utter groundedness and constant risk-taking. Maybe you want to jump on board and join me in finding in your life utter groundedness and constant risk-taking. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers, and we're so glad you've been with us. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go on, make it a very uncommon day of finding your utter groundedness. Music.